Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm one of your hosts, Caroline Donato. And I'm one of your other hosts, Pete Kratza. And we have a special guest, although I'm not allowed to say special guest, renowned guest. Well, I think you can say special in this case. Man, myth, legend, legend. Art Donato. He's blushing. Dad doesn't blush. I really don't. Well, Art Donato is also my father, um, aside from being a fabulous attorney. So this will be a special episode for all of us, I think. And we're here to interview you, Dad. Welcome. Thank you for having me. This is my first foray into a podcast, so it's very exciting for me. But your dad had a radio show. Yes, he did. So you should be a natural. Well, we made commercials for his radio show, so I know a little bit about how to do this. And you have a face for radio. I do have a face for radio. Wow, you were waiting to say that, weren't you? It's all we've ever said. Oh, okay. All right. Have you ever listened to a podcast? I've listened to a podcast. I've actually listened to this one. Oh, thank you. Yes. I'm a big fan. Wow. I didn't know that. Every episode? I think I've heard every episode. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised by that. I'm no, no. gratified. Thank you. Are you surprised because even though he's listened to all of them, he's here? <laughs> <laughs> that, too. Right. Well, Dad, can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and your background? Okay. Um, I'll be 67 years old this year. You really round up. That's not until November. Well, it's this year. Uh, I've been a lawyer for 42 years next month. Um, I grew up in a uh, the west part of Wayne where uh, I was an only child. My parents said they would try anything once. And, <laughs> um, and I never really thought I would be a lawyer until I was uh, in a junior in high school. Um, never thought I was going to go to college. I thought I was going to be a, a mechanic. Um, and then I met some people who Caroline knows, including one, one of my closest friends, Todd Miller, who's seven years older than I am, who suggested, hey, why don't you go to college? And it just went from there. Now, you know, one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for today is that if you grew up in the 50s and 60s, there were shows on television that featured lawyers. But they never glorified prosecutors or police officers. If you grew up in the 50s and 60s, you watched Perry Mason, who was a defense lawyer, Judd for the defense, who was a defense lawyer, the defenders, who were all defense lawyers, Petricelli, who was a defense lawyer, Owen Marshall. Um, all of those shows that I grew up with, I think, had something to do not only with me becoming a lawyer eventually, but having something to do with me becoming a criminal defense lawyer. So criminal defense was glorified back then. Very well respected and glorified, yes. So I never knew about you, despite knowing you for a long time. I, I Obviously, I've known you longer than I uh, knew, uh, have known Caroline. I, I met Caroline through art. Um, I had no idea that you uh, weren't planning on going to college. You had to be one of the smartest kids in your school. Well, it, did, it didn't really matter because where I was from and in the group that I was in, nobody was really going to college. Where you um, were from? You mean from Radnor? Well, from that part of Radnor. Oh, okay. and, and so, and I wasn't a big high school athlete. You know, I worked after school and 
I had a job with a company called Lewis Oil at the time, which was one of the biggest companies in, in Radnor. Um, and they owned a hardware store, and I worked at the bulk plant filling oil trucks. And it was a good career path. That's just what I expected I would be doing. Until I got talking to some people who were a little bit older than me, and Todd was going to be in law school the next year. Um, and so I decided to go see my guidance counselor one morning, and I said to her, you know, some friends of mine are thinking I should go to college. And she said, you want to go to college? That's great. Sure, yeah, you can go to college. Uh, she was happier than I had thought she would have been. My mother was not happy, though. My mother was like, why are you going to college? You have this great job with Lewis Oil. You're making $1.65 an hour in the hardware store. You know, you could own that company one day. Um, but I went to college, and I really liked it. What did Pop-Up think? Well, Pop-Up thought anything I did was just fine. <laughs> <laughs> My father was always... Um, was always a supporter. The only thing he said about law school, when I told him I was going to go to law school, he said, hey, pal, I thought you were going to be a guitar player. And I said, well, Dad, first of all, I don't like going to work at 9 o'clock at night and getting home at 4 in the morning. But secondly, you need more natural talent than I have in order to make money as a guitar player. Devotion's just not enough. And he said, well, okay, well, if you go to law school and you don't like that, then you can be a guitar player. <laughs> so when, when you said that you decided to go to college your junior year in high school was it at that time that you were also thinking about becoming a lawyer yeah okay. um, because what was also going on you know you have to evaluate everything in the historical epoch in, in which it occurs so what was also going on at that time was the Vietnam War you had to pick a side because my friends were against the war I guess that's how I got led into being against the war and participating in anti-war demonstrations when I was in high school. And um, by the time I was a uh, sophomore in college, the war was pretty much over. But, uh, but I did, you know, my first one was when I was 13 years old, Todd was 20. And, uh, and I went with him and I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the idea of standing up against the government. Uh, especially if you thought that what they were doing was wrong or unethical. So that's when I started to think about being a lawyer, and the only kind of lawyer I really ever thought about being was a criminal defense lawyer. Well, Todd ultimately became a judge. Was he a criminal defense lawyer before then? No, Todd became a judge shortly after he graduated from law school. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, wow. That's what happens when your father plays, plays golf with the governor. Well, back then, there weren't as many lawyers either in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. There, so when I joined the Delaware County Bar Association, I think we had about 350 lawyers in the Bar Association. Now there's almost 2,000. Right. So, yeah, it's much so different. you get out of law school. What was your first uh, job? My f I had an offer from a Philadelphia firm when I was in law school, and... At the same time, I was living in an apartment, which was uninhabitable, and it was owned by a guy who was a doctor in Wayne, and so I sued him. What I didn't know when I sued him was that his brother was the law clerk for the president judge of Delaware County. But you soon found out. I found that out very quickly. <laughs> 
and and the president judge summoned me to his chambers and I explained to him the problem and he said we're going to settle that case don't show me that you have the rent in escrow which I did I showed him at the time was a bank book and uh, and then he asked me where I was going to work and I told him I was going to to a big firm in Philadelphia and he said uh you know, there's a guy here, what kind of work do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a criminal defense lawyer. He said, there's a guy here in media who has a lot of criminal cases, but he's getting too old to try them. And I suggest that you'd be better off here than in Philadelphia. So you should go talk to him. I said, well, Judge, you know, I already accepted this job. And he said, well, you didn't start yet. So why don't you go talk to him? Well, that guy was Jack Prudell. Um, so I went to see Jack and he offered me $10,000 a year less than the firm in Philadelphia, but also 10% of whatever I could bring in the door. But the big thing was he had about 15 cases that had to be tried that first year I was a lawyer. So I decided to go there. And the rest is history. And, uh, you know, we were together for a, a while, and then some people joined us and some people left, and eventually in 1996 I went out on my own. And you've been on your own since? Since September 5th, 1996. And tell us about your practice generally. Um, my practice has always been a criminal defense practice. It has developed in the past 25 years into a more white collar practice. Um, but I, you know, I want to stress to your listeners that um, I'm not one of those people that says I only handle white collar cases or I only handle big cases. You know, every case is big to the client. Um, and so there isn't an insignificant case uh, if it comes in the door, you know, and I'm competent to do it, I'll do it. Uh, so, but I have a, a relatively low inventory of files because my mentors, Don Goldberg, John Rogers Carroll, Chuck Peruto, Bobby Simone, the, the Frank Lord, the people that I learned from, uh, especially Don Goldberg, said to me from the beginning, be very selective about the cases that you accept so that you can do a really good job on those cases. What you don't want to do is have a list of 15 cases that you got to deal with every Monday morning. You're not going to like that. And so I've, I've followed their advice. I didn't know how to do it. So I did what they told me to do. And I think you have, from my perspective, and I'd be in interested if you agree, you have a, a bit of a, a unique practice in as much as a lot of the white collar cases in, in the Eastern District, for instance, and I know you're not limited to the Eastern District, of, that's where the federal court is in Philadelphia for the listeners, they go to the larger firms. You know, They have their fancy websites and their white collar practices. But you're right in there. You're one of the top white collar, you know, by my estimation, the top white collar lawyer in this area. That has to be gratifying for you. Well, it's, you know, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of friends in those big firms and they mm -hmm. include me in cases and I include them sometimes in cases. Um, I, I'm friends with other people who have small firms like Bob Welsh. He does the same kind of mm -hmm. practice that I, as I have. Some of our clients have experience with big firms and they prefer to have in the individual attention that you can get from a smaller firm. Right. 
So, yeah, but I'm very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people have been very good to me over the years. Right. And I try to sort of pay that forward uh, now with younger lawyers. And you do. Did it with me when I was a younger lawyer. Yeah, well, I hope so. Pete just celebrated a birthday, and this one really got to him. Yeah, it did. Yeah. 52? Four. 54. 54. Yeah. Yeah. It's closer to the, you know. I've never seen Pete's birthday affect him like this one did. Yeah, yeah maybe it was the weather. Yeah, it probably was because there's really no, there's, it's really a waste of energy to worry about how old you are. I just saw uh, Joe Green actually, and Joe and I actually have the same birthday. And different I, years. I right? told you different years. So I told him slightly different years. But uh, I told him now I'm at the age where I don't celebrate, celebrate birthdays, I withstand them. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, Dad. You've had a long career so far, and it's gone through different processes, whether it be you were at a small firm, you built your firm, you left your firm to start a solo practice, and then that practice developed into a white-collar practice predominantly. Over those years, kind of reflecting back, what do you find to be the most rewarding about your job? I don't know. I think the most rewarding thing I, I like about um, being a lawyer is talking to and understanding the clients, whether they were in the beginning bar fights and drug cases and driving under the influence cases and things like that, to understanding the clients, the different problems that they have, but the people problems are very similar. And so I enjoy spending time with clients. I enjoy giving them advice. That counselor part of counselor at law uh, I enjoy that a lot. Um, and you get much better results once you can build up a level of trust with a client. And the only way you can do that is to devote some time to it. That's true. And what would you say has changed the most over the course of your career, for better or for worse? Um, t- technology has changed. You know, we didn't even have a fax machine. Uh, when we started out. I mean, there were no cell phones, fax machines. We had a copier, but that sometimes worked. We used carbon paper. So technology has been a real boon to the legal profession. There's a downside to everything, though. And the downside to technology is, in the first 10 years of my practice, your day didn't start before 8 o'clock, and it was over at 5. Nobody called you at home. Nobody could send you an email. Whatever they had to do, they had to wait until the next day. Um, so you may have worked at night, especially if you were on trial, but it wasn't fielding calls or emails from clients. Your day ended. And if you wanted the weekend to end and you wanted to block it out, it was very easy to do. Left the office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, in my judgment, the worst thing that has happened to the legal profession happened in 1977 with the advent of uh, advertising being permissible here, here. For, for lawyers. You I, know that's my pet peeve. Wait a second. <laughs> I think it, you know, I, I think it's really, it has degraded the profession in a way that is sad for me to watch. Can uh, I put a pin in this for one moment? Can I have a moment with my partner here? Of course. Advertising is a problem to you, Pete. We used to get in arguments because I refused to advertise. 
And you wouldn't understand. And I would say I grew up with Art Donato. No. Here's what I'm talking about. The solicitation advertisement. You know, the fact that <clears throat> when someone gets arrested, they get all these letters. Excuse me. Oh, the letter <clears throat> from lawyers. Um, I don't. I, advertisement. I mean, we're never going to be on a billboard. You know, that's some people's thing. But I, I think that there's a way to do it professionally. But, you know, we have a website. That's advertisement. You have a website. But yeah. we're not mailing people um, solicitation letters at their darkest hours. Well, right. here's, here's what I mean by that. If you take a look at the rules of professional conduct governing lawyer advertising, there's, a, there's an interesting passage there that says, even if a fact is true that you're advertising, if it could be misleading, it is unethical to assert that fact. All right? So when, if I were to advertise the fact that I've been a super lawyer for 25 years, that's true, but that's misleading. There's because no there's no there's no such thing as a super lawyer. <laughs> uh, just like there's no such thing as Superman. There's just no such thing. And clients, if, especially if a lawyer is bothering to advertise that, the public sees that and they think there must be some validity to it. And there is no validity to it. It is a shameful way of publications to get advertising and raise their revenue. That's the only reason for it. It's one thing if you're a member of a credentialed association, the American Board of Criminal Lawyers, American College of Trial Lawyers. That's fair. You can say, you know, less than 1% of, of the lawyers in any jurisdiction can be that and so and I'm one of those and that's not misleading but super lawyers top lawyers best lawyers in the country all those publications are misleading I think to the public yeah and I mean the emails end up looking like you look like a no disrespect to realtor but realtors they'll have like you know all the things all over yeah uh, I'm with you well, what would you? Maybe not to the degree art is, but I think we're on the same page. You know that that bothers me. I know I'm the solicitations school. bother you, right? In terms of of um, the way that clients, you know, I'm in between you and art, obviously, right? In terms of how long I've been practicing, but I remember back in the day, well, and I'm talking like mid '90s. There wasn't as much advertising. It no. was like you got you got cases if you had a good reputation and people found you through friends, through family, through law enforcement, through other lawyers. Now, you know, you can be a paper tiger on the Internet um, and acquire all kinds of cases. Mm -hmm. And well, not, on, not only that, it, there are lawyers who do that and they actually compensate clients to write reviews for mm -hmm. them. Um, now that has to be unethical. And and well, I think I think it's all unethical. Yeah. But you know what a what a website is for a lawyer like that is an indiscriminate referral source. Wait, you mean they pay clients to write a review? I think some of them write them themselves to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. But forget about that. What's important here is that if if all of my clients are coming from a website that's that I'm paying a lot of money for that I really, you know, keep up, um, and I don't do a good job, well, the next day, there's somebody else that's going to look at that website and choose me anyway. Whereas if, 
as my practice does, if, my, if your practice depends on other lawyers and former clients referring things to you, you have to do a good job on every case. Otherwise, you'll never get right. another case from that lawyer. So what I mean is, if it's used properly, there's nothing unethical about it. But if it's, but if it's not used properly and it's misleading to the public, it's bad for the profession. I'm kind of, I mean, when, when I started out, even eight years ago, almost, our website looked totally different. I mean, technology for the last eight years has developed immensely. But I was completely adverse to advertising, and over time I've softened to it, and I find these boundaries. One ba boundary I find isn't super lawyers or top lawyers because that's not pay to play. You know, other people vote you in and you're in or you're not. But then we get these other solicitations, you know, top 40 under 40 or top 100 criminal defense lawyers. And they'll say you made this list, but you have to pay X amount of dollars to be on the list ultimately. That's where I draw the line. Uh, yeah. I, I actually, when people say, hey, congratulations, I won't mention it. doing this, doing that. I'm always <laughs> self-deprecating about that because I don't, to me, what's mo most important are the people that, are in our profession, whether they're lawyers or people that work, you know, like law enforcement, mm -hmm. if they think you're doing a good job, especially if they're on the other side, you know, that's the highest um, accolade I think that you can get mm -hmm. uh, as a defense lawyer. Since you're hijacking all, these are all my questions, by the way, Art. Um, I thought they were, Peter. Thank you, I appreciate that. What is the best quality, and you may have touched upon this, the best quality of a criminal defense lawyer? empathy okay and that's the counselor at law right the idea that you, you know and you've you've both I'm sure seen lawyers with their clients in the hallways arguing with yeah. them or telling them they're stupid or you know or in a lockup the same way um, you know that's an us and them attitude you know, we're no better than anybody that we represent. We just happen to be more educated in the area that they need. But the idea that you can empathize with somebody and sympathize with them, um, even if they've done something terrible, I think is a really important quality for a criminal defense lawyer. You know, I've, especially in the 80s and 90s, I've handled roughly 25 homicide cases, 15 of which were death penalty cases. I've met some people who've done some pretty awful stuff. And sometimes it's a struggle, but it's a lawyer's obligation to find the human dignity in that person who's done that stuff. Uh, because if you can't find it, you can't advocate for them. Um, so you've got to see the goodness that I believe is in everyone. Right. I completely agree again. Of course I'm going to agree with everything Art says, right? But um, to me... It reflects extremely poorly on our profession, and I and I think we all can see it um, immediately in a in an attorney when they're they're not they're in it they're in it just you know as an occupation, and they do talk down to their clients, and they don't care about their clients. Not all of our clients are going to be likable, you know. I get that they're not going to be my best friend, but as Art said, you need to. Um, to to have empathy and to care, right? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at me. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I find the empathetic 
part of the profession to be almost the easiest part because well you know uh, I have a very good friend both uh, who both of you know I was just thinking of um, a story involving this friend but I was having this conversation with him over dinner one night and he said to me I'm not here to save the world I do this for money and and I was surprised oh yeah no, no, that's, oh, that's not who it was. Oh. Uh, and I was surprised to hear—I wouldn't be surprised to hear him say, <laughs> but I was surprised to hear this person say, and somewhat disappointed. Yeah. And what I said to him in return is, if you're doing this for money, it must not be very gratifying for you, because there are much easier ways to make money than doing this. I have told people that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was in college, I worked for Dean Witter as an investment banker, insurance broker, all kinds of stuff. And if I had stayed doing that, and that was easy, you know, that was fun. You go out and meet somebody for lunch and write a policy or sell a variable annuity or something. That was easy and no stress at all and much more lucrative. Right. Well, I thought it was the person we will not name because when I became a new lawyer and I went to the first white collar seminar back in 2014, dad had a federal sentencing he said well why don't you come with me to see the sentencing and there was a co-defendant with co-counsel and the way co-counsel was talking to their client was outrageous to me and i'm a brand new baby lawyer but i said to the co-counsel how do you get clients oh my god yeah no that was something that we probably shouldn't have i said. got in so much trouble for saying that yeah <laughs> i don't think, so think co-counsel ever forgot that either i think it was more like who hires you <laughs> why would anybody hire you uh, yeah so <laughs> i was i told caroline and i don't know if she's heard the story can you um briefly talk about your one your final family law case yes well this is when i knew that i shouldn't be doing family <laughs> law so in the beginning when i was hired by jack prodell who's a wonderful guy he just turned 92 this week and i was talking to him about all those old days and i remember he used to tell clients i have art donato working for me which means when you come to our firm we do everything from antitrust to zoning, whatever you need. And, you know, he'd call me. It would me have been a good say, advertising slogan if you weren't so opposed to it. I'm telling you. <laughs> he, would, he would call me in and he'd say, this is so-and-so. She's written a children's book. I told her you knew all about copyrights. You know, he's our copyright expert. And so it was quite something. But he had a big criminal practice and a bigger family law practice. And at the time, I didn't. You know, just like now, I don't only do mail fraud, wire fraud, tax fraud, money laundering. I, I wanted to do everything. So I was doing some family law, visitation, custody, divorces. <clears throat> and it was uh, right around the time of the change in the law to no-fault divorce, 1980-81. Um, so I had what was called a four-way conference. And we agreed to split. These two people had a lot of money. And I was representing the wife. The husband was represented by an older lawyer, uh, much older than me, very experienced. And we settled everything except who gets a sugar bowl. And it was like 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. 
and we had been there all day, all morning. And they kept arguing about the sugar bowl. And, and I finally said, how much is the sugar bowl worth? And my client said, it has a lot of sentimental value to me. I said, well, the law of domestic relations is sentimental value doesn't count. She says, I think it's worth $50. He, the husband, says, that bowl's only worth $30. I gave him the sugar bowl, and I gave her $50. <laughs> you walked out. <laughs> and I walked out. And I, I went back, to, and I said, and I told Jack what happened, and he, I said, I just can't do this anymore. <clears throat> you know, she's paying me at the time. I don't know, two or three hundred dollars an hour to argue over a fifty-dollar sugar bowl. It just didn't make any sense. Um, so, I, it's not the last case that I ever handled that was domestic in nature, but it's the last one of those right. I ever handled. No, I never heard that story. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I think uh, Jack Pradell told you, you can't do that. And you said, well, you probably shouldn't give me any more family yeah, law right. cases. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, before we get to like the final question, and I'll word it appropriately, Caroline. Um, and off the top of your head, this might be difficult to uh, to to answer, but what's the funniest case you ever were involved in? Jeez, I don't know. You know, a lot of funny stuff happens in these criminal right. cases. I mean, I, I I sort of remember trying a rape case in front of Judge McGovern, where I was calling character witnesses. And the first character witness I called was his mother. And I said, you know, you know everybody he knows, right? And she said, yes. And he was 20 years old or 21 years old. What's his reputation in that community of people for being peaceful, law-abiding, respectful towards girls and, and truth-telling? And she said, well, you know, all kids lie. <laughs> and when she said that... Judge McGovern started to laugh. The jury started to laugh. <laughs> you didn't laugh. I was not laughing. No. So that that's one funny thing. I was trying a case in federal court about 20 years ago. Um, so there's a lawyer at uh, Williams and Connolly named Brendan Sullivan. If you remember Brendan, he represented Ollie North in front of the Senate. Um, and during that, he wasn't allowed to speak, and he said something. Somebody said, you're not allowed to speak, and he said, I'm not a potted plant. Uh, which I thought was just the coolest thing in the world. Thirteen years later, I'm trying a case in federal court before Judge Giles, and my client's on the witness stand, and the government, Tim Rice, who's now a federal magistrate, but at the time was one of the, and is a great lawyer, was one of the best prosecutors I'd ever tried a case against. Um, he was asking a question, and I was objecting, and the judge was ignoring me. And so I stood up and said, I'm not a potted plant. <laughs> and he started to laugh, and the jury started to laugh. And the transcript reflected it both. And after that, I sent the transcript to Brendan Sullivan saying, thanks for the inspiration. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, you know, and then there's questions that clients ask. You know, which, and they're sincere about these questions, but they're hysterical. <laughs> I mean, you know, question, questions like, I thought possession was nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, do you have any other questions before I ask my question? 
No, when Dad talks, I like to just listen. Oh, okay. Yeah. He does have a great radio voice. It must be. I, know. Uh, I inherited that, but she never listened to me when she was a little girl when I talked. But, yeah. yeah, I did. did. Sure, I did. <laughs> I asked questions. <laughs> uh, my question, and, and Caroline has chastised me, so I need to be very particular in the phrasing of this question, Art. Does it surprise you that your daughter is a criminal defense lawyer? Um, no, because I made it look so easy all her life. Oh, well, look at that. Oh, she, it's a shame. <laughs> we got an eye roll. We got a big eye roll from, God. from Caroline. The, you know, it, it was not until, up until the time she was a junior in college, at least what I was told was she wasn't going going to be a lawyer. Well, she was much more likely to be a criminal at that point, yeah, right? She, We've she, talked about her her history. She was not going to be a lawyer. So <laughs> I was a little surprised when she decided to go to law school um, because she had spent so much time saying, I'm not doing that. Well, I guess, well, yeah. So in hindsight, it's interesting because my whole life, we spent so much time together and I worked in your office on cases, and I met Caroline <laughs> Roberto, Carrie Roberto, who is, she's semi or fully retired now, but she's like the Art Donato of Pittsburgh. She's a fabulous lawyer, and I worked for her in college. Met Mike Angle, met all the people that are mentors to me. But I didn't want to be a lawyer because I didn't know how to maintain my own independence and autonomy, but do something that my father does. I didn't know there was enough space. So I was insistent. I was never, and both my parents were lawyers. And I'm a firstborn. I'm rebellious. I wasn't going to be a lawyer. And then when I um, went to law school, I still wasn't going to be a lawyer, though. I was going to be a broadcast media, legal analyst, political analyst, whatever. And then when I finally decided to be a lawyer, because I had been working for criminal defense lawyers as a hobby... He told me not to be a criminal defense lawyer. No, I mean, he wanted you to be hired as a business lawyer here, right? Yeah, well, I wanted her to, I really wanted her to pursue that broadcast career mm-hmm. because, because she was very good at that. Um, and and I, it, I also recall several times where someone said to her, Oh, you're Caroline Donato? Is Art Donato your father? And she did not like that. No. No, no she still doesn't. <laughs> she, no, I don't mind do anymore. Do you see how this came full circle? Yeah. Your father? When you said you were going to law school, was disappointed you weren't going to be a guitar player. When she went to law school, you thought that she should go into the entertainment industry. Well, right? they, look, the they really, I don't know if she industry. ever told you this. They really liked her. Walt Hunter thought that I've she I've heard was, Walt Hunter. Yeah, 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 she drops his name. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when it's Walt Hunter. <laughs> yeah, it's Walt Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of MSNBC. <laughs> no, but this, I mean, this is, broadcast media was fun. To a point. I mean, it got boring. There's a lot of downtime in putting the packages together, and I I needed more stimulation, and I figured that's something you can do on the side, whereas being a lawyer and a criminal defense lawyer, which felt very satisfying, and you didn't make it look easy. I mean, you would talk to me about philosophical ways of approaching a case and what is best for the person, best for society, this hybrid of philosophy, psychology, and... um, and law my whole life we would spend hours talking about it so it was ingrained in me as kind of like when you watched your shows it was this very romantic view of how to help somebody what is good and how to make a better society and that has stuck with me 
Yeah, look, I mean, I think that's the other characteristic of a satisfied or happy criminal defense lawyer. You got to be a sucker for inspiration. You know, you got to find inspiration wherever you can find it. And when you find it, you got to cherish it. You got to value it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I told them I was pitching the white collar practice at McElroy and they would be like, you just go into the office and you put your head down and you work. He told me that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew how to do that. Well, Dad, this has been really fun. Been fun for me, I too. I think you're a natural. Well. You look the part. Do you think he should replace me, maybe? You guys just do the... No, because you know. when, when he talks and tells stories, I'm, I'm just listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just in awe of my dad. Um, but this, is, this has been really fun, and maybe we'll have you back to talk on a professional conduct issue, yeah. maybe some ethical issues. But uh, do you have anything else you want the listeners to know about you or I your want practice? The, I want the listeners to know that yesterday, by a vote of 43, uh, 53 to 46, the first African-American woman was confirmed to a seat on the United States Supreme Court. And at a time where we have a pandemic and war in the Ukraine and false news reports and everybody's polarized, Every once in a while, the path goes to a really good day. And that's the essence of America, that it may be bumpy, it may be slippery, it may not always work, but every once in a while, democracy leads down a road to a very good day. And she's accepting this and getting sworn in today as, we, as we're talking. And it's just a monumental thing. Talk about being a sucker for inspiration. Everybody ought to have a tear in their eye about that. That is a fundamental change after 230-some years of the life of this country. And it's just a wonderful day today. And, and we'll be talking about it on yeah. another episode. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, one last question. Are you excited to be a grandfather? Yes, I'm very excited. You want to tell the listeners what my daughter will be calling you? I well, I guess she's going to call me whatever she decides to call me, but I'd prefer that she call me Art or Sir. And there we are. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You never called him Sir, did you? No. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Not once. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Subject to Cross. Thanks, Art. Thanks for coming in, Thank you for in, having Dad. me. Anything else, Pete? No. And everybody makes fun of me for this, and by everybody I mean my husband, signing off. Mm-hmm.